Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Supervalue Insurance. Offering sound advice for your car, home and travel insurance needs. First though this morning, walk into any branch of Dunn stores and you'll see the name Helen James in the homeware section. Helen designs all sorts of things, from ceramics to candles to tables and textiles. She spent time living in New York and rural Westmeath. She's back living in Dublin now, but there's a whole lot more to her life story and also to her father's story. Helen, it's really great to have you in studio. Thanks for coming in. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Now, listen, a lot of listeners, of course, will know your name from the objects you design, but they know pretty little about the woman behind the designs. Tell me about your upbringing first. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Dublin. I was born here um, and I grew up in the Chester Beatty Library in Shrewsbury Road. First, we were in Black Rock and then we moved to the Chester Beatty when I was about seven, I think. And to explain to people, because I, of course, read your interview with Sarah Cadden in the mm-hmm. Sunday Independent yeah. last week, why you ended up in the Chester Beatty. Tell me about your mum and dad. Yeah, so my dad and my mother came to Ireland in 1968 from England, from the north of England, um, because my dad got a job as a curator in the Chester Beatty Library. Um, so bucking the trend of people leaving Ireland in the late 60s and all 70s, 80s, they actually came over here, which was very unusual for English people to move here um, in 1968. But yes, yeah, so they came here with my little brother who was two and um, and then two years later I was born here. And what was his job? He was the Islamic curator in the Chester Beatty Library. He also taught Arabic in UCD here for years Um He was an incredible linguist and um, so, yeah, he was, but he was, he came here for his job in the Chester Beatty Library. He was the Islamic curator there. Now, life was going along just fine until your dad, he gave in to temptation, didn't he? And he began selling some of the artefacts from the collection. And this was going on for years. And your parents had moved to Egypt by the time he was found out. Yeah, so they moved to Egypt. They actually moved to London. Um, They moved to Egypt for a year. He was teaching in the American University there. He left his post in the Chester Beatty. And then he had been headhunted by a a man in England who had a private collection, a massive private collection to catalogue it. So he left the Chester Beatty and they went to Egypt and Turkey for a year and then to London. So he was actually living in London when he was arrested. Um. Yeah. What was that time like for you? It was like a chasm in all of our lives. There was, you know, there's that, those points in your life where there's before and after. And it was just a completely ripped our entire lives apart. It was, it was first of all, unbelievable. So I was actually away in Spain for the summer and... How old were you about? I was going into my final year in college. I was in NCAD um, so I was 22, 21, mm. 20, 21, 21, I think. Um, and also my parents had been living away. So I had been living on my own in Ireland, having a great time for the, f- the first couple of years of my college life. And then I got off the plane from from the summer in Spain, working with my friends and my parents weren't at the airport to collect me, thought that was strange. I was with my boyfriend at the time and his dad was there and he gave us a lift home. And when we got to the house, uh, my brother's girlfriend opened the door in floods of tears and said, your dad's in the bridewell. And I was like, 
what are you talking about? And I went down to the Bridewell and I remember walking in and my brother and my mother were there and it will, my father looked like he had been deflated. It was like someone had just let the air out of him. It was... And he was standing up and he was and he had he had already admitted to everything. And um, he just he was crying, which was, uh, it was unbelievable to see. You know, he was such a kind of, you know, that was I'd never, ever seen him cry. I never did again, actually. I never saw him cry before or after that. And um, he was just he looked frightened, actually. Mm. Um. And yeah, and and it was very emotional and we were all very emotional and my mother was just completely in shock. And he just completely changed, you know, he completely, he he changed. I mean, everything changed, you know, our whole lives disappeared overnight. Everything just, you know, and then there was the sort of immediate like opening the paper and it was the front page of the supplement and all these details about our lives and that's sort of the, the press that you don't want, you know, mm-hmm. kind of. Um, and, you know, photographers sit standing outside the door and and um, it was very bizarre. It was very, very bizarre. And then just the the shock of what he'd done and what ha- and what happened and the shame and the incredible shame that he felt that my mother felt and that all their their lives all their friends you know or the, their social life just completely disappeared you know and my mother who had done nothing had no idea or overnight her life just evaporated he went to jail in the end for yeah. how long he went, he served two and a half years, I think it could be. He was at first he was in um, in ta- in Mountjoy and then he went to Shelton Abbey to the open prison. In when he was in um, Mountjoy, they used to call him the professor and um, he kept himself a lot. But he uh, but he actually kept a diary of his time in prison, but in Arabic and he told us about it, but actually we lo- we we never found it after he died. It's gone. Mm. We never found it. But yeah, no, he went to prison, and he and there was a year in between him being arrested and the trial where we didn't know, you know, what was going to happen or how long or, and that was very hard. And then you know he was very much he was kind of at peace with the fact that he had done something wrong, and he you know he had to pay the price. So. What was the lasting impact, first of all, on your mum, do you think, on your mother? As you say, she was a total innocent in all of it. Yeah, I mean, it's just her whole life, her whole future, her, the, you know, your her life as in Dublin, uh, you know, her, her, my father's pension was taken away, like income, we had no income. Um, she had a young child, like I was 21, but my younger brother was only 11. And she just she went back to work having she was a, she is a trained nurse um, and she went to work for the Jesuits in Cherrywood who were um, just incredible, incredible, so supportive to her. And she still talks about them all fondly. Um, so she was then left with no income with my younger brother. My father was in prison. You know, she'd lost her her social circle, friends, every, you know, everything. Um, it was devastating for her. She, yeah, but she's a very stoic and very strong woman. 
were you angry with your dad or did you end up feeling sorry for him? When you look back now, how do you think you feel about it all? Do you feel anger? At the time, I wasn't angry at all, strangely enough. And like it was it was really it was because it was also a particular time in my life where I was kind of discovering myself and, you know, finding out who I was in the world. I was living in South County Dublin and in a, in a very strange way, I kind of found it a bit liberating in terms of expectation of who I was supposed to be or what I was supposed to do or, you know, my parents were very liberal and very open and artistic and all our friends, you know, lots of friends who were creative and, you know, the house is always full of of creative people. But there was this sort of subliminal pressure in terms of conforming to a certain unspoken way of you know dressing or behaving or you know Mm. um and I and when it happened I just thought you know what I'm just going to be myself and I actually completely changed the way I dressed and um and what I wanted to do and I had my boyfriend at the time's father said to me you should apply for a green card and I said America sure I'll never want to go to America and he said, look, just send off the letter. And so I sent off the letter. And then a year later, I got the I got the green card. And that was kind of my then I was like, OK, well, here I can get it, get out of here and get away from everything. So you headed off to New York. So I headed off to New York a year out of college. I was I had a degree in textile design. It was 1992. And there really was not a lot of call for textile designers in Ireland. And I had a friend, Simon Watson, who was in New York and he was the only person I knew in America. And so I said, can I sleep on your couch for a week or two? And yeah, and I just thought, oh, sure, what the hell? I'll go and see what happens. And is it true? I think you said this to Sarah that for the first time when you were in New York, you actually felt Irish more than you did in Ireland. Explain that to me. Yeah, because my parents were English and it wasn't even something that I ever sort of had thought about. But I mean, I was in school always sort of teased or, oh, the English one or, you know, um, the Protestant, the 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 Brit, the kind of, <laughs> you know. And um, but then when I went to New York, I was Irish. And then I ended up um, working in an Irish pub at one point uh, the Scratcher down in the East Village and they had a trad night and I got really into trad music and started we started up a, a, a thing called Tin Whistle Night where every Tuesday night we went to a friend's house and this friend of ours who was a trad player came and taught us a tune on the Tin Whistle and I was really really good <laughs> <laughs> my boyfriend at the time was really jealous because I was better than him and the Tin Whistle You also worked for some like really big fashion houses there in New York what was Donna Karen like to work for? Yeah, yeah. So I worked at Donna Karen. I worked there. Initially, I worked with um, a friend, Eileen Shields, who was an incredible shoe designer. And she worked for Donna Karen for years and years. She was looking for somebody and asked me, would I come up and be her kind of assistant? So I went and did that for a little while. And then I went off and worked in some other jobs and then started doing my own work you know, I started doing my own prints and textile design and she said, you know, bring, you should bring them back up to Donna Karen and show them to them. So I did. And they bought a couple of pieces and then hired me to develop them into scarves or T-shirts or stuff. Um, And so I, I, 
I worked freelance for them for years. And I met Donna Karen a few times and she was an amazing woman. So when did you go from, say, scarves to what people in Ireland will know you from going into any Dunn stores in this country? It's all your stuff, Helen, homeware. When did you make the move from, for instance, like fashion scarves to homeware? I started doing the scarves. I then got an agent in New York doing scarves and accessories. Then September 11th happened and I had two small children and just thought I don't want to stay in New York. Um, so we came back to Ireland and I, I just thought coming back to Ireland, there wasn't going to be a job here. This was in 2002. So I really had to push and do my own thing. So again, I just started making more scarves, went to shops here, costume in Dublin, Kalu in Kildare, the Beth in Cork and built up a business. And it got to the point where in 2008, I found myself pregnant with my third son and the economic crash happened and I got really badly burned. And I just thought, you know what? I'm actually done. I'm actually done with fashion. And I one day was in my house and I looked at my bookshelves and I was like, every book is about food or your home. Mm. And I was like, I actually am in the wrong. I'm My foot's in the wrong field here. So at that point, when I made that decision, we also decided to go back to New York. So we went back to New York for a year and and in the first meeting with the Donna Karen people, they said, we are looking to hire somebody full time as a designer for the Donna Karen license for bedding. It was for the bedding department of Donna Karen. And I just said to myself, I'm going to get that job. And they hired me having had no homewares experience, but I had the Donna Karen experience. So that so that was kind of how I made the leap into the homewares sector. We then were in New York for a year with three small with three children. It was very difficult transition for them, having come from Westmeath and being outside the whole time. And so then they were in New York and it was a really hard, really, really tough year. Um, so we decided to come back to Ireland, but it was a very difficult decision because I didn't have a job. I got a call three days before we came home from a friend who said he was standing on the football pitch for his kids football on the Saturday and he was talking to one of the mothers and he said what do you do and she said oh I've just moved back here I worked for Kath Kitson and I've just come back and I've been gone to Avoca and I'm um, heading up there doing this expansion into Japan and he said oh you're not looking for a designer are you and she said oh we are we are and so he called me and he said you've an interview next week Great friend. And yeah, so I came back on and I came back on the Saturday. I interviewed with Avoca on the Thursday and I started on the Monday. Mm-hmm. So I was in in Avoca for one year and then Carolyn Donnelly had gone into Dunn's and was starting her brand. And Mrs. Heffernan happened to be talking to the owner of Costume um, and saying, oh, we now have this, you know, we need more design in the company. And we and so we have Carolyn Donnelly has come in and she's heading up ladies wear. And so I need somebody to do that for homewares. And she said, oh, well, I think I might I have know the just perfect the person, person for you. <laughs> and then Anne Heffernan, um, Mrs. Heffernan's daughter, Anne rang me the next week and I came up to Dunn's and met them. So I initially went into Dunn's to set up a design department for the homewares section. And in the very first meeting, which was with Anne and Mrs. Heffernan, Mrs. Heffernan said to me, and would you be interested in doing your own brand? 
And I said, oh, absolutely. Wow. And wasn't on my radar at all. And I said, oh, yes, absolutely. But I won't do both things at the same time. So let me come in and give me a year to set up the design department and to, you know, do all of that. And then we'll we'll talk again and about about the idea of a brand. Finally, given your big success here now, when you look back on your dad, I know he went to the UK and he died. Do you forgive him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. And there's definitely sadness there. And there was anger later, you know, um, but but yeah, for sure. Helen James, congrats on all your success. And thanks for being my guest this morning. Thank you so much for having me. We'll take a break. <laughs> 